Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Why Theory. As always, I am your host, Ryan Angley, joined, as always, by co-host Todd McGowan. Todd, how you doing, buddy? Ryan, it's great to talk to you today. It is great to talk to you as well. And today we are continuing our genre series, or are we? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Because, don't know. <laughs> because the idea of genre is um, going to be a, a subject of conversation uh, for this particular episode. We are, of course, talking about film noirs, as you can see from the title. Um, and this is an area uh, close to our heart, I think, as um, as professors of, uh, of, of media. You are a film professor. I'm more broadly a media studies professor. Uh, and I love uh, teaching and uh, bringing uh, theoretical um, recourse back to film noir because, um, well, I have a take uh, and you have a take about uh, this question that is a, a scholarly question and debate, yes. I think, uh, uh, about film noir. Is it a movement, a genre, or a style? And uh, we we got takes on this. But uh, before we get into that, I want to just kind of frame this episode a little bit uh, through something that happened uh, recently to you at the, uh, at the University of Vermont. Because there's, uh, if you listen to this show a lot, you may think that... Um, I don't know, in academia, conversations about uh, dialectics and film theory are very common, but that is, um, I, I think we, um, I think uh, uh, we throw off the curve a little bit on this. Uh, so w- what happened recently? Uh, yeah, throw off uh, yeah. the curve. That's an understatement. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, so we did a search for a, just a replacement person because a few of us are going on sabbatical. And we, one of the questions was, you would, how would you teach a class in film theory? And mm-hmm. three reasonable. of the reasonable question we thought. Uh, so three of the five respondents said, "Well, I would of course teach. I would start with you know psychoanalytic film theory, which begins and basically ends with Laura Mulvey's Visual Pleasure and Narrative Cinema. And mm-hmm. you know maybe I know it. I know film theory ends in the 1980s, but I might try to do some more." contemporary texts, even though I know that's kind of post, they didn't use this term, but after theory, I might still try to do some of those. So I thought that was nice and interesting, especially since I've written some books of film theory. (laughs) One or two. And you've written some essays of film theory that come after 1980. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, one or two. So so I thought that was just interesting that they didn't even bother to like look up the people that were interviewing them and say, well, wait a minute, that might be an offensive Comment, well, but yeah, I, I mean, wasn't like, my like Hillary and Hunju. Yeah, and yeah, all of us. Yeah. Right, yeah, right. But it wasn't whatever. I didn't care. It wasn't the personal thing. It wasn't what was significant. Was significant mm-hmm. was that basically I think the consensus of film schools is that film mm-hmm. theory is dead. Right. Yeah. That that's the, that's just the basic consensus. So mm-hmm. I and it I, died I, a long time ago. As not, well. not right. Right. It's not like it just oh, too bad, it just died in 2010, or it mm-hmm. died after Lee Edelman wrote No Future. He was actually mm-hmm. predicting there's no future for yeah. film theory. No, it was way before that. It, mm-hmm. I mean, really, the last text they think that was interesting was visual pleasure and narrative cinema. That's the word on psychoanalytic film theory. And mm-hmm. Joan Kopchak's orthopsychic subject, which is a definitive refutation of that Work as we've discussed yeah, earlier we've on this podcast, previously. right? Uh, that 
It's like it never happened. Like it never happened. Right. Yeah. Like it never happened. I mean, like, which is it? Like, I think, listen, I, te- I teach Mulvey as well. Uh, it, it is very teachable and very popular, you know? Like, I mean, it's people, but it's like. And to, all the um, worse for it. I would say, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like because, she, like, um, you know, like death twenty four frames a, a second. No, that's really a good book. About. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, I you think know, that, you know the other it, books because, are good. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it just um, even with like even to stop it at that does a disservice to to Mulvey. Not to, not her, to say nothing right. about psychoanalytic right. film. Right, and film I think theory, that's absolutely right. true. Yeah, I even yeah. really like, and I've cited fetishism and curiosity. I just think that that one, and even Joan says this that 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 one essay kind of got inflated and, and associated with her for worse, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think mm-hmm. that that's, I mean, again, I think that the insights, and I think this is why you said it teaches well, mm-hmm. that the insights she has about the way the positioning of the woman in classical Hollywood film are completely correct. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just the way that psychoanalysis is marshaled, I think is questionable. And the way that term mm-hmm. gaze is used is, is questionable. Anyway, uh, yeah. So that was the idea. Sorry. Well, it also says to... just like lastly on that, but it's also like you know, like Bell Hooks never wrote oppositional gaze, which she directly references Laura Mulvey in that, and says like you know there has to be a notion of a film viewership that like it involves like a like a radical way of looking at the screen, right? You know, so right. it's like so again, if you it doesn't so it doesn't do it's really funny so this is this is the whole like just to to wrap up the last like two minutes it's like not only does obviously does film theory not end in the 1980s but that essay does not even end laura mulvey and nor does it even end the discussion on the on the gaze you know like so it does a disservice uh, on on all three of those i would say uh, laura mulvey's most important works are all done after the 1980s but you know yeah which obviously these applicants didn't see it that way Joan Kopchak emailed me the other day and said, I was complaining about this to her. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, the gays can never be qualified. That's what she said. I thought that was a nice, interesting. A nice That's statement. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, so nice. this long detour to get to film noir, which of course ah. is appropriate. <laughs> nice because, reference. yes, because one of the central film noir is detour. By Edgar Ulmer, yes. That's right. And I think, this is my point, I think you're, you have a, I'm going to put it in a sentence uh, to, we began, and this is a big, big debate. So it is a big debate. Is it, is it a movement? Is it a genre? Is it a style? And, uh, and I th- well, can I just say, I think we both think this is a reasonable debate, right? It's not like yeah. one of oh, these, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. oh, it's, cr- it, it's clearly one thing. It's crazy to think something else. Right? No, no, no. I think, yeah, I think very, very reasonable. And there's a lot of, and we're going to try to get into why. I mean, for one, so, you know, we said this uh, several episodes ago that when we announced that, that we were going to do this, uh, this film genre series, and we started with two genres that are not a genre, the superhero film and, uh, and, and film noir. Um, and the thing with this is that like when all these films that we're going to talk and we're going to talk about a number of different films we're going to talk about we Todd just mentioned Detour probably talk about Big Sleep uh, Third Man Double Indemnity Out of the Past um, and uh, some other some other films but like the seven classical genres in Hollywood were melodrama uh, screwball sci-fi gangster horror musical and western and all of these films. Did you do it off I mean, the you top can, of your head, or did you have? No, 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 no. I have to look it up. I have, I have it in my notebook in front of me. No, I couldn't. Okay. I only ever okay. get five. Just, I know. I, I know always, what. I always have a senior moment on one, so or two. So yeah, That's that was. Funny. I was going to be impressed by that. But 
Well, no, it's, I had to. Be I too pulled honest. the curtain back. So, yes. well, no, you'd have heard the rustling on the on my recording, yeah, the paper okay. rustling for me. Okay. But um, all of these films in the U.S. when they came out, they're marketed as uh, not as gangster films, which it seems as though they'd be the closest to, but as melodramas. Right. right. Especially in the case of a film like uh, Mildred Pierce, which is a, a really, which I think you and I both think of as a as a noir, but you can right. see probably closest why that film. It's right. Be, it's it's the closest maybe of all the noir to melodrama to what we yeah. would call melodrama. Yeah. So the um, top line take for me is the uh, it's a I think it's a movement and it's a um, it's a it's a a, this is the whole reason why we framed it this way. I think it's a film theoretical movement. And I think that like you you can't talk about these films without talking about film theory and and the theory that uh, is, I think, in them, which is uh, a dynamic take on a formal relationship to constraint. That's what I think is the, is the, is the theory of these films. And I, and I think if you, you know, if you think that, it, that, if you think that film theory is just like movements that become exhausted and they are not like embedded in the text itself that requires theory to like extract and, you know, enlarge and, and, uh, and illuminate our understanding, then, you know, then you perform the same kind of violence as like reducing all of movies to just one text and all of film theory to just that one text and just this like one specific temporal period. So that's my top level take. And I I like that a lot. And I think Thank it's you. better than mine because, oh. <laughs> so, first of all, I agree. I would call it a movement. I would, I, I accept the, so, so there were these two French film theorists. They weren't theorists. I mean, they were critics, basically, film critics. Mm-hmm. Raymond Bourde and uh, Emile, Emile Chanton, I think mm-hmm. is, probably it's in Etienne or Emile. Um, but anyway, they, so Bourde and Chanton, they, they, they wrote this, incredible book called The Panorama of American Film Noir. And it really, I have to say, so it's written in, it's first written in 55 or mm-hmm. late, mid, late 50s. And they originally stopped, they said it starts with Maltese Falcon and it mm-hmm. ends with Kiss Me Deadly, which is 55. So mm-hmm. Maltese Falcon's 41, Kiss Me Deadly's 55. And then they put out a new edition. They said, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute, wait a minute. We, we spoke too soon. It really ends with Touch of Evil in 58. And then that's where mm-hmm. they come down at the end. And I have to say, I, I think it's maybe, st- this is probably, I, I'm probably forgetting or not thinking about a really good film noir book, but I think it's still my favorite book on film noir. And it was written, it was the film that, it's why we call film noir, film noir. So you made the right. point that these weren't, film noir is not a production term. So all the mm-hmm. other genres were production terms. So they, they were made the films under the aegis of that name and 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 that's what you know that's what they were marketed as etc but film n- n- film noir was never marketed as film noir which is why it's it's a french name and then we don't call it dark film or whatever because right, right, right. because English it was show. french critics who mm-hmm. who named it and 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 they saw these films they saw them in en masse after the after world war ii for the first time mm-hmm. they're these are amazing and and they they notice this trend, and and I I think that I I like them see it as a movement. I see it, I I can see the argument for it being a style too, because you can have the one thing that seems to me uh, irrevocably true is that you can have a other genres that have a noir style to them, right? Like mm-hmm. clearly, mm-hmm. Blade Runner is a science fiction that has a noir sensibility to it, and I think you know Rancho Notorious is a an, 
it's not surprising, it's directed by Fritz Long, who was a great noir director. Mm. Fritz Long, uh, uh, sorry, Rancho Notorious is a noir western. So I think there are ways in which they, and Anthony Mann made noir westerns too, I think. Mm-hmm. So there's a way in which it kind of seeps into other, seeps into genres. Mm-hmm. But I, that said, I do think it has a certain time. And then what comes after that, I would call neo-noir. So I think... So- yeah. I this is an, I have a take on this and and yeah. and I wonder what you what you think yeah. is that I actually think it's because of the, the it's because of the neo noir that the argument that it's a style is sustained. So yeah. I, I I so I or I'll put it this way it's only because of the neo noir that you can sustain the idea that it is a style a style right, right. because I don't because there's nothing so uh, there I don't think there's anything that makes neo noir cogent right. as a group of right. films except no, I agree. for reference to the noir. Right, I agree. I agree. And it's and it's always hearkening back to that movement, so that means mm-hmm. that it must be a style, right? Like I think Yeah. That that makes yeah. that makes the most sense to me for defense of that idea that it's a mm-hmm. style. So I, mm-hmm. I so I agree that it's a movement, but I think there are these elements of the style in it as well. But mm-hmm. I, genre I don't buy, although we have a friend who yeah. Who uh, friend, does have a friend in a, real life, friend of the show, friend formerly, of the show, friend of the life. podcast? Yes, formerly on the podcast. Who uh, we probably should have here because he knows more about film noir than the <laughs> two of us put together. Yes, um, that classic but, line: "He's forgotten more than you and I know." That, that is, in fact, true, true yeah. in this case. Yeah. Sadly, yeah. He, I remember I was in his house one time, and he's like, "Have you seen this? 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 I'm like, "Yeah, no, none of those five <laughs> that you just mentioned." <laughs> I really, We're talking about Hugh Mannon, uh, Hugh Mannon of, uh, yeah. of, of Clark University. Hey, Hugh. Yeah. And and his idea is that it's a genre of mm-hmm. unsuspicion. Right. Yes. So that's a so he definitely goes along the genre lines. And and what's great about this idea, right, is that mm-hmm. it 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 doesn't just say, oh, it's a genre because it has a certain iconography or because there's right. a femme fatale or there's a detective mm-hmm. or any of this mm-hmm. kind of thing. So Hugh even thinks that Gilda, which most everyone thinks is a film noir, is not a film noir because it doesn't have this dynamic, which he calls it has a femme fatale, Rita Hayworth, but it doesn't have this unsuspicion within mm. it, so it doesn't count. So I like that he he really tries to define the genre with mm. an idea. And I think both you and I, you just try to define the movement with an idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for me, the movement is defined by what it, it attempts to show the obscene underside of society. So that's what mm. and that and the way in which that obscene underside infects everything. So it, it's not just like we're going to show you the worst part of town and it's going to, no, it has to show how nothing is, nothing is free from that, right? Like the most innocent mm-hmm. character in a film noir is tainted in some way by the obscenity of the, of the social order. I think that, that for me would be the way I would define it. No, I like that a lot. Yeah. I, it's, I think it's a, it's a fascinating question and it is one like, you know, um, if people want textual reference, like, you know, James Nairmore, I think really, uh, I think concretizes it. He seems, to, uh, am I it's right? It's a great book. It's called more, yeah, than, more than, than more than, than night. Yeah. 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 It's a great book. Is He's on the side of, is he on the side of genre or am I misremembering? I, I think so. Yeah. I think okay. so. I, 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 yeah. I just know that he 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 attacks my reading of Mulholland Drive in that. Oh, does uh, he really? Book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in a in a in a in a kind way. Yeah, not okay. not in a not in a vicious way. Plus, I I I think we've emailed like in a in a 
generous way. So, oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. but well, but yeah, he definitely does not. He thinks I miss out something on lunch. So, can you talk about that for a second? Because I'm I'm just personally interested. <laughs> like, what I, what what was your Mulholland Drive take? I don't remember. Take I mean, my oh, my take okay. was just about the role of fan. Like like for me, Mulholland is just this exploration of the of the existential political power of fantasy. And mm-hmm. I think he, th- I don't know, I can't remember what he said. He just thought mm-hmm. I was, I was, you know, missing some. Oh, oh I, I think this is what the usual critique is, that I didn't take okay. into account that it started out as a television show yeah. and became a film. And people that Jason are... Jason Mattel said the same thing, didn't he? He did say the same thing to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I think people that are film historians, like the two of them, Mattel, a television historian, I think mm-hmm. that bothers them when you don't yeah, talk okay. about the production you know, change in history and stuff like that. Mm. Well, this is a nice little segue because a core part of my take is I think that of all the um, genres, the classical Hollywood genres, I think the the noir has the most um, intentional relationship to the production code. Um, and I love so this you, idea. I love thank this you. idea. Yeah, so um, if this, I'm, I'm sure people have like a, and you can fill in the, the gaps for me to make this more the, the yeah. little bit tighter on the history of the code. But yeah. so the code is instituted, uh, or the Hayes Production Code, um, the, a censorship office over Hollywood film. It begins in 1934, and right. it lasts until 1968. So right. 34 years of the code. Right. And Run by this guy, Joseph Breen, who was a strict Catholic and a very good racist, anti-Semite, and homophobe. So yeah. that, that's, that's in the background. When Todd says very good, he means very good example of. He doesn't mean like great person. So just you know, just to be really clear, Ryan uh, protecting me from my own. Yeah, as my own as always, babe. Vernacular. As always. Yes. <laughs> so now, now it's very important that he was Catholic because it was the Catholic League that agitated for Legion this. of Decency. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and because th- uh, film used to be for general audience, there was no. You know, there's no no rating, no no restriction. It was and, right. and it it was um, the there are several films like sort of like like up to the end of uh, 34 that were really scandalous to this right. group. Right. Um, but I, they what, also what, I, were a lot of them were banned in specific states. So so okay. one of the reasons the production code came into being was Hollywood was a, one thing they were threatened with a federal because the Legion of Decency was was lobbying Congress to pass some mm-hmm. kind of censorship thing. Mm-hmm. But they mm-hmm. also had to deal with all these local state, sorry, state censorship boards. So mm-hmm. they, and, and so it'd be fine for Oregon, but it'd be no good for Indiana, you know? So they were, right. I mean, that's, right. those are bad choices. It's really like Alabama probably where it'd be censored. Um, mm-hmm. But nonetheless, like that, that's, so, so it was in a way uh, to, to, to make the censorship more, uh, streamlined, right? So that's mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. of what's going on. The other thing is the actual production, the start of the production code is 31, but there was no enforcement office. So mm. this, what happened in 34 was they get the Breen office, the Hayes office, and then you also get this production code seal of approval. And so if a film right. did not have that seal, it basically couldn't be, so it couldn't most newspapers wouldn't advertise it and most cinemas wouldn't show it. But there was mm-hmm. no law, right? So it, there are films that didn't get the seal that still managed to get a little bit of exhibition. But, but mm-hmm. it, was, it was basically a death knell for your film if it didn't get the seal. Man, yeah, no. And, and so 
one of the most important things for me about all of this is that, and, and I, when I teach the noir and I teach this period of film, uh, I am very, very insistent on this. Like a, a common take, I, uh, in fact, I even saw this recently when, when my students are teaching a queer film theory in, in a class and, and, uh, uh, I had like, like in class writing time and a student called me over and said like, um, Hey, I'm looking at this and, uh, here this, this, uh, I looked up queer film theory and, and it says that queer film theory is about how, um, queer themes and queerness is repressed in film. And I was like, okay, that's fine for that article to say. But in this class, what we say is when something is repressed, it doesn't eliminate it. It makes it more apparent. Right. That's what, right. that's what, that's, that's, that's the whole thing here. It, Cause this, <laughs> this was just this, this like, like article, like easily Googleable article, like, like right. a definition of queer film theory. And so it's, it's, it's a similar thing here is it's very, very easy to, to look at film censorship and hear censorship in this like libertarian way. And it's like, Oh, you couldn't do anything. You couldn't do right, violence. Right. You couldn't do, you right. couldn't do like th- th- these were the restrictions, right? Like you couldn't have licentious kissing, which right. was a kiss on screen kiss lasting longer than how, how long? Like, uh, t- like two seconds. Like, it's very short. Seconds. Yeah. It was very short. And then you have someone like Alfred Hitchcock and notorious having, um, uh, was it Cary Grant and, um, Ingrid Bergman. Ingram Bergman, they're kissing and having a conversation, and it is so much more erotic than if they just kissed for four seconds, right? Because right, they're just right. they're they're kissing and talking to each other, and like the kisses don't last long, and it's like it's it's it's, it's it's incredible, and so and just as a as an American historical example, like what is Todd McGowan? What is the time in American history that we uh, talk about drinking being most rampant? Well, I think that'd be prohibition, probably. Yes, that would right? be prohibition. So, like, what the so the important thing is, like, yes, the Catholic League and uh, the censorship office said, like, you know, you you couldn't it, it couldn't be if if someone committed a crime, and this is the most important big, one. For yeah, the, this is a big for the one for film noir, right, right? Yeah, if someone committed a crime, they had to pay for it by the by the end, like they yeah. had to, you know, in 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 some way. Um, but it doesn't did not mean that you could not exceed these dictates and so the 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 point is that these formal constraints they do not repress the things that they are prohibiting they actually uh, enabled these filmmakers to be creative in showing the very thing that they were supposed to not show so like we all know that like so like okay you couldn't obviously show sex during these uh in these during this time period on this um in and in these films but this is how we get like the train going into the tunnel. And it's right. like every single one of these films, characters are having sex. It's just, there's some uh, metaphorical way that it's being shown. And I actually the search light spinning around, right? The yeah. searchlight spinning around. I think, yeah. I think if you really think about some of the imagery for this, it's a little, it's more graphic than if it just showed like what counts for on-screen sex, like in out of the past, um, Jeff and Kathy, when they have, he throws a, a towel, it's raining outside. They yeah. get into this, uh, this like, I don't know, uh, like beach side, uh, shack, like, or, or whatever. And Cabana, like I think, I don't know. Whatever it is. And, and he yeah. cleans her, her hair, uh, with a, with a towel. And then they start kind of like touching each other a little bit. He throws the towel on a lamp, the lamp, uh, uh, falls to the ground. The, uh, the 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 light bulb smashes, and then the door blows open, <laughs> and the camera <laughs> camera like uh, I think it uh, it dollies in 
to the outside, like it's like a it's a tracking or tracks yeah. in, I should say. Yeah. Like to the and so just like think about that. Like a door has blown open and it is yeah. like pouring rain and wet outside. Far more graphic than right. if they just showed a little bit. So that's that's just something yeah. that happens yeah. with these films. And and I think they that all of them have a uh, a, a very in like these films, this movement, I don't think exists without the code. Would be my. Well, I agree totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's a great point. And I think that it, it this idea that it's obscenity, right? Like that, all it's linked to that mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you can show, like, if you show directly the obscenity, then you miss the obscenity, right? It's only yeah. through the way in which you show it. It, it, it deforming the form right through the way in which it, mm-hmm. it it undermines the actual form of the film and i think all the things that we associate formally i think the the way in which we film noir is almost like the definition of that this u.s supreme court gave of obscenity right like you <laughs> like i can't define it but if you if, if if i see it i know what it is and i think mm-hmm. that that is really true of film noir because it's a it's a genre defined most by the way that it looks, most by the mise en scene. Not I said genre. It's I know. A I was, was going. Yeah. yeah, yeah thanks for correcting me. Yeah, Be it's consistent. a movement. <laughs> I know. Sorry. Uh, it's a it's a movement defined most by its mise en scene. That is the thing mm-hmm. that's in, not even its editing. It's what's in the image, right? Like yeah, it's not. Yeah. You wouldn't even say like, oh, the tracking shot. Really? No. You would say, well, what. Low key lighting, so a mm-hmm. lot of really strong shadows, mm-hmm. oftentimes dark imagery. Like like Maltese Falcon is basically mm-hmm. n- there are no scenes in the light outside. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's a big thing. Um, you know, so the lighting is a big thing. The acting is very stylized, right? So mm-hmm. it's not it's very unrealistic acting. The costumes are very extreme. So the women are usually clothed. Suggestively, the men are, are you know often wearing trench coats, so mm-hmm. the you know all of these, pro- like the 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 gun is you almost there's almost not a film noir without a gun, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah so I think the, and the setting it, there are there are a few country film noir but I they're mm-hmm. not many like the no, it's almost no. always the one I'm thinking of and it starts in the city actually mm-hmm. there's a Robert Ryan one called I think it's a Nicholas Ray movie called On Dangerous Ground and it's it's okay. okay and he he ends up he ends up running to the country and mm. and and befriending a a blind woman and so the, the the but 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 he starts in the city I mean basically it's like it's a city movement not a country mm-hmm. so so I think all those yeah. so I just named the four aspects of mise-en-scene that is setting lighting acting and then costume Mm-hmm, or prop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think that those aspects of mise-en-scene are really what define the movement in, in people's minds. Like that's the, that's what we use to, you know, people don't think like, oh, is it showing the obscene underside? No, they think, does it have all those things? And then yeah, that's how right, they know right, it's right. a film noir. Yeah. yeah. And so we're trying to, we're trying to twist that a little bit and to show this, like this, uh, well, um, my my point of emphasis is this, like this, like formal uh, radicality, right. like right. you know, and and and, I, and and you're trying to show like like diegetically, like what these, like what do these elements mean, right? Uh, right. In in uh, I would say like probably like in, in dialectical relation to each other. Exactly, but I think your point is really borne out in the mise en scène, right? Like that. That's mm-hmm. yeah. where 
the film takes the code and transgresses it in ways that are yeah. permissible, even though that seems oxymoronic. Uh, and then it and 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 it, and it it pushes things to their to their limit. So I think that that like in the way that it's like just like you described that sequence in Out of the Past, or mm-hmm. just the way in which you know when Robert Mitchum, when when Jeff says to Kathy. Robert Mitchum says to Jane Greer in uh, Out of the Past, you're going to find it very easy to take me anywhere. Like, that's mm-hmm. like already he's suggesting, like, I'm going to, I'm ready to go to bed with you, right? But he doesn't say that directly. And he doesn't yeah. say, like, let's go fuck or something like that, right? Like, it's very, everything is done through suggestion. And you and I both think I that this is the high point of Hollywood and maybe the high point of I, I would say the high point of mainstream cine, cinema anywhere, right? Like it's, mm. it's just an incredible movement for its precisely for its radicality. I think. Yeah, and it's all, and it's only like it's through the um, it's through the formal constraint right. of the code that this right. like happens at all. Like like the I think in the Big Sleep, like is is the scene added right? Like after yeah, um, yeah. like so Bogart. And so Bacall, describe what why do you know why this happened? Why the scene was added? Uh, wasn't it because of um, the that other film of theirs, like that the Bogart and, and Bacall? Well, kind of, but it, but it, so the other so Big Sleep was shot first, mm-hmm. and To Have and Have Not was released first in the states, but okay. Big Sleep was shown first to the GIs in Europe, mm-hmm. and they're like, wait a minute, this uh, Bogart Bacall stuff, we like that better. And then they had done t- so. Then they re- they shot subsequently what's I think become maybe the most famous scene in the film. And then yeah, they t- I think that's true. And they took out and this is the, this just cracks me up. They took out the part where Bogart ex- Philip Marlowe explains what's happening to the police. <laughs> so so <laughs> everyone's like this film makes no sense. Well, part of the reason is because the scene in which he explains everything is just taken out of the film. And what's fascinating is. You can find both versions of the film now, but you can't mm. find a version that just keeps all the scenes in. It's like, yeah. where's the where's the like real director's cut that you know puts everything in there? But it doesn't that's, exist as far as I know. So that's, that's interesting. so funny. And they called, yeah. and that's the film too, like where they had a question, right? Because so that film of. of uh, I'm Let's right, just say what the scene is. Say say what the well, scene is. Well, okay, sorry. I was I was gonna say like that was yeah. written by Faulkner and Lee Brackett. Um yeah. and they there there was a, some question about who killed the first person yes, in the film and they and and they call the person who wrote the um is it a novel or short story? It's a, a novel, they, Raymond Chandler. Yeah. Raymond yeah. they call Raymond Chandler and three AM three drunk at three AM. Chandler's awake, drunk himself, and go ahead, say what they ask. And they ask him who killed who killed the first the first the first person who dropped the first body and he has no idea no idea right no idea right so right. The, as much as as much as that as much as a scene where marlo explains what's happened to the uh, to the police would be very helpful it would not explain everything it would not explain everything because yeah. even the author does not know which is of course the great statement about a noir hard-boiled mm. detective novel and a noir film right that that it's the opposite of knives out or yeah. And Agatha or the Death on the Nile and Agatha Christie thing where it's about the detective using the powers of rationation to 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 yeah. solve the crime, right? Like that's the yeah. like it's the, the the detective solving the crime 
it's only solved through the detective's personal involvement in it, right? And and mm-hmm. that's why oftentimes the detective doesn't even get paid. We never see the detective get paid yeah. in noir, yeah. almost never. And mm-hmm. it's all about like how can you, you know, the detective's own personal investment. That's what will solve if the crime gets solved, that's what will solve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's great. And um and so and just speaking of personal investment, the GI is wanting more uh, Bacall and Bogart, like the scene that um, is added in The Big Sleep, it's, I don't know, it's like 20, 30 minutes in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And maybe a little uh, later, but yeah. Around. Maybe a little later. And yeah. they uh, they meet at a bar to discuss uh, basically Marlowe uh, solving like the first piece of right. this uh, of this crime. That, that and she's ready that to pay him off and, and, and be done with him, right? Yes. And then, uh, and then they start, they start, uh, they start flirting. And it's this great question from, uh, like just Lauren Bacall just says, say, what do you like? It's just something like, like, what do you like to do for fun? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and he, he, and, uh, Bogart is like, well, next to play the, play the horses, play the ponies, but on the, but on. And so then they just start talking about what do they like? What do they like to see on the racetrack? You know, it's an apparent, it's a nice conversation. Yeah. And one of them, likes to observe uh, a, a horse on a, over a distance of ground, you know, to see what well, it does. Well, they talk and, about each yeah. other actually as horses. Yes. So and she's like, the, she's like, I, you don't look like the kind of guy that likes to be raided. Or she says, he yes. says that to her. So raided yes. means, if you're not used to horse, horse racing vernacular, raided means held back and, and then mm-hmm. so you can burst on at the end for a strong finish. And then she says, I've yeah. never found a jockey that could do it. <laughs> so who, you're who, like, yeah, who could do it? It's yeah, incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's, it be, as you watch the scene, like it, you're, it's clear what they're, what they're saying to each other, um, that they're, they're, they're not talking about horse racing. They're talking about fucking each other. And it's like, it's one of those things where, Again, if they were just openly flirting, it's it's actually much less uh, graphic, I think, than what ends up happening. But again, how do you, how could something like this possibly go through? Because if you're looking at this on the page, if you're Breen in the censorship office, yeah. you're looking at this. It's like, well, talk about horse racing. That's right. fine. Right. And that's right. and that's because that's the that's the um, that's the thing about uh, uh, that I think is actually an, a, a very important lesson about. Uh, power that that uh, uh proponents like theoretical proponents of power really miss is that in like like power always seems to be total and it knows absolutely everything and there's no way of getting around it and it's complete right. and it's perfect right and it's like please please like like th- this this is a censorship office that had absolute authority to right. d- like stop a, f- a film just this right. the, 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 like stop just, it uh, right. Just stop it. Like, and it, and it doesn't matter. And these things are being pumped out, you know, like, like the, 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 you know, the studio system like require, like Howard Hawks is making like four films a year. It's like crazy. Like think yeah. about it now, you know, and, and th- th- like, just like a single word could have like, like struck anything out and they just miss it yeah. because the thing is, is that like when you are in that kind of position of total authority, you actually never think there can be a threat to your authority. And right. that is, is psychically a lot what goes on in the noir itself. Like, so it's, it's part of the, the usually typically it's part of the, the diegesis of, of film noirs themselves. And it's part of how they were even produced. So you have this like incredible homology between uh, production and diegesis with, with the noir uh, right. in, in, in how they, 
uh, and I think this is this is part of what Hugh picks up on with with his idea of unsuspicion is is like how they 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 work under the the nose and under the un, un, under the guise of of authority and they're able to do exactly what they want to while seeming to be obeying the law. Right. I mean, I think that's why I for Lou for Lou for you the paradigmatic <laughs> film of unsuspicion is Double Indemnity, right? Like that. Yeah. yeah because. Yeah. What Walder's doing transpires right under the nose of Barton Keys. And yes. then, you know, he's like, How did you miss it? Because it was too close. And then he goes, Closer, you know, closer than that. Closer Walter. than right. that, Walter. Yeah. Right. So, so that, that, like, that failure to be suspicious, like that failure to be suspicious. I, th- I like that connection between the failure on the part of the Breen office. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's another argument, right? There would be an argument maybe that Breen knows and just. Mm is like okay if you can be indirect enough that's fine right like that's or yeah wait isn't it or or there's this other thing that like maybe breen knows but for him to admit that he knows would be too much like, right it right, yeah right. it admits too much for someone yeah. who's supposed to be this up, up yeah, yeah, yeah moral yeah. authority yeah so yeah. He, he could never avow it no i like that a lot i like that a lot yeah. that you can't like if you're in that position of power to even admit what you've seen is already yes. is already perverse, right? Like you're was, you're you're complicit. I could lose my job by recognizing that you're talking about right. fucking in this scene. Right. I could like right. what are the what what's what's the Catholic League going to do to me if I admit that I know what's happening here? Right, right. No, yeah. that's really good. I think that's a great. It seems to me like that's a really important point about it, and it, it does tie to what noir is doing in the way that it's showing obscenity, right? Like it shows mm-hmm. obscenity by deflecting it into this, into the look of the film, basically. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that's mm-hmm. the thing. Like it, it, it shows, uh, and it, and, and it also shows, and I think this is maybe, you know, this is all part of the radicality of it, that it shows corruption mm-hmm. as sexualization too, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the corruption mm-hmm. is always a sexualized corruption, right? Like, so the cops, are never just taking money. They're always doing so, and this is what noir shows, in a sexualized way, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's, what, that's why I think, I've always thought this, that Kubrick has a, almost a noir, his first films were noir, like a noir sense, of, and one is amazing, Killer's Kiss, which he disavowed, is, mm. it's a striking film noir. Uh, and The Killing is a, it's more of a heist film, but it has a, a lot of noir sensibility, but I would just, and, 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 uh, his great, what's the great early war film? Uh, Paths of Glory. Like that film mm-hmm. seems to me like a cross between the war film and the noir. So I think that mm. one thing that he's constantly doing is showing the obscenity of power's corruption. That it's not just corrupt to get more money or to get, you know, to get more power. It's mm-hmm. corrupt in a precisely sexual way. And I, I think that noir, that's always true of noir. Right, like that. That the rich are. This is what I love about Out of the Past is that the villain yeah, is a capitalist, right? Like that, yeah. and that's that's itself a rarity today. But he's also his part of his villainy is his the way in which he's sexualized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, and he does. I mean, this is a, a perfect film to start talking about a little with at at a little yeah. bit of length right right here. I think because. Um, it's exceptional for so many, I think for so many reasons. Um, the, like w- one thing that, so at the almost exact, I love pointing this out when I teach the film at almost like the, I, I think like exact midpoint of the film, 
Robert Mitchum, who has rebranded himself as a, as a, as, as someone else. So he, uh, uh what was it? Like, uh, um, like a, is he, he's a private investigator and he's hired by Kirk Douglas's character, right? Yeah. In, so he starts in, out, his name is Jeff Markham. And then he, I think he changes right. it to Jeff Bailey, right? Bailey. That's I it. Think it's yeah, right. that's yeah. right. And so he's in this, uh, this is a nice, this is, I guess, I think you could argue that this is a film that goes from the country to the city. That's right. That's right. It uh, does. Yeah, yeah and, it does. And he just runs a gas station. Uh, that's it. And, and there's a, he's kind of the bad boy of the town because the, um, the, uh, like the, the, the fair maiden of the village, uh, who is, uh, seemingly betrothed to the, uh, to the sheriff of yeah. the town, uh, starts to become, uh, infatuated with, uh, with our, with our friend Jeff Bailey, who runs the gas station because he has a dark past. And anyway, the, the past catches up with him, as you could tell from the title, yeah. and he has to explain to, is, is it Annie? Anne. I just think it's Anne. Yeah. Anne. Okay. Um, and, what has gone on? Like, what, what is he mixed up in? Like, who yeah. is he? What's this? And they get in a car and he's going to drive to Kirk Douglas. The character's name is Wick. They're going to drive to Kirk Douglas's uh, in mansion. Lake Tahoe. Lake Tahoe. Yeah. And they are, so they're going from the right side of the screen to the left. Okay. Yeah. That's where the car is going. And as, so he's uh, explaining. Oh, they're the going path. west to east. So it's interesting that they represent he, it that way. Yeah, right. Ex- yeah. Right, exactly. So that's yeah. that's what I like is that it's 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 kind of backwards. Yeah. So because he's recalling the past and then at the yeah. midpoint of the movie the car stops after he's explained everything and then the movie proceeds uh in a you know like linearly from there. But it had this uh this rep- this and this is a, a a key feature of the noir there's always some like formal retroactivity, you know, like right, this is the, cl- right. like the, like James Naramore's thing, like this is where I came in. Like, you know, like, you know, right. the, is the, right. is the detective saying this, like some, something has happened in Medias Ray. And then the detective comes in and has to figure out the little bit of bits and pieces. And so for us, we're in the position of Anne and as Robert Mitchum's explaining like right. his whole past and, and, and what's gone on. And so the, you have this real like movement and motion given to the past because of where they are diegetically, like in the car, he's explaining this. And then it like, it stops and that's, that's what's happened. And now, now we're caught up and now right. we, we, now we can move forward, uh, from the position of, uh, of Robert Mitchum. We, we now, we now no longer as a viewer, like lack for, for knowledge, uh, of the past, but we still do for, we now do for the present. So now we're aligned with Mitchum's character as we, right. as we move forward. So right. it's I mean, it, really, yeah, really nice for It's interesting because the, I mean, the flashback I think ties to the sense of fatalism and Robert Pippin wrote a book called fatalism in film noir. Mm-hmm. And I think his idea is that they create these fatalistic worlds. And then the question is how can you have agency or freedom in a world that's seems faded or that is faded mm-hmm. even. Um, so that's an interesting idea. Uh, the books, I, I don't, I have some qualms with his interpretations of, he, he talks about um, Scarlet Street, uh, I think out of the past maybe, and definitely Lady from Shanghai by Lady Orson Shanghai. Welles. Yeah. Um, but I think that, I think that the, the, you know, that idea of the flashback seems so important. I mean, not every noir has a flashback, right? But it's, it's all, it, that's very canonical in the noir mm-hmm. movement. And I think the reason is double because indemnity, right? Double indemnity mm-hmm. does right. Oftentimes it's from 
you're you know you're on the edge of death like postman yeah. always rings twice he's on he's he's about to be executed and i think he's talking mm-hmm. to a priest or something so it's a real there's a real sense that like nothing can be done mm-hmm. you're you're the you're just at this i mean out of the past lesser right because it's it only is half as you pointed out it's only halfway but there still mm-hmm. is a sense that the hero's on this path and and nothing's going to alleviate that and this and I, is why detour is so exceptional, which I want to get to, but I want you to finish your point. But yeah, yeah no, like, my point is just that that idea, like how do you, and I think Pippin is onto something with this, like how do you live with this weight of the past seeming to direct you to a certain thing? How do you, do you, how can you, man, how can you maneuver yourself in that position? But also I think it's, you know, I think you mentioned the word retroactivity, noctreglikite. Like, I think there are also films about the power of that. Like, simply mm-hmm. by forming the past, by reconstituting it, that's how you, that's really, it seems to me, one of the suggestions is that's how you intervene in mm-hmm. the present. By And this is, we talked yeah. about this with Tenet also long ago, right? That, oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that the political act can be just rewriting the past in a certain way and then creating a new future. And I think that's part of what noir, that's one of the ways in which it conceives agency, maybe. I think so too. And I, I think that if, if you talk about, if you talk about these films and fatalism and, and strictly the an existential sense and you do not, and, and I haven't, I haven't read that book of Pippin. So you tell me if he accounts for this, but I think if you don't actively have the code involved, then you miss where the transgression is because, right, right. because, um, no discussion uh, of the code in that book. Right. Okay, because yeah. C. Walter Neff d- does not pay for his crime at the end of Double Indemnity. You know, like, he's going to die, but he d- there's no, he's not uh, brought in by the law. It doesn't happen. Uh, interestingly, that's edited out, right? Yes, that's right. Like, right. in the first cut of that film, you see him in the actual gas chamber. So right, right. it's interesting that they, they wanted to end with this homoerotic scene between oh, yeah. Neff and Keys rather than the death mm-hmm. scene. Yeah. Which is yeah, which I think is um great which choice. Is just, it's yeah. a great sure. choice. Great it's far choice. far better. So yeah. like I think that that's an example like and then I, I would even say in um like uh in Out of the Past, I mean like Jeff does uh he does die, but like he's made um this like he's made this deal, this accord with um with the character who's just named the kid who is a gas station attendant who right. is um who is uh deaf and he has to confirm for Anne that Jeff was really gonna go off with Kathy, the femme fatale of the film, which he wasn't. But for Anne to live the rest of her life, she right. has to think Jeff was like a bit right. of a shit. Like she has right. to think that. Right. And so so he frees him, the, frees her. So basically. he he to, frees her. But I I I I like that slip you just did because I think that's true. I think it frees Jeff as well. Yeah, like like yeah. I think in you know I mean and he looks up. That's right. He, he does like, look like, up like, and he, like he kind of salutes like, him at the end. Yeah, right? like he kind of salutes him. You know, and so okay, so maybe that's a little bit more like I I I think that that's worth like holding on to and looking at like yeah. uh, kind of against fatalism. And I think detour just only to do three examples like yeah. Detour is, as I think, the best of this because what happens, and I think Detour, we, I think we've, I've recommended that, like that. That's like the lesson before people should really watch it. Yeah. I love it so much. It, it is a, it is an actual B movie. Like it was made for, right for seventy thousand uh, dollars, I think, right? something like that. Yeah, yeah, really, really cheap. And there's, there are these great scenes that you can tell, 
like I, I haven't I haven't read like a production history of it, so I could be I could be factually wrong about this, but this is, some of the stuff comes off comes off to me like in a certain way that um because it was cheap they had to do things that they just wouldn't have done otherwise, and it right. makes it just more like theoretically right. interesting. Like right. the Al Roberts is the name of the main character, um, and he is uh. Oh my God. I had, first of all, the film teaches you the correct way to pronounce the city of Miami, which is Miami. <laughs> and then it it also includes such amazing phrases as let's blow this trap, which I think is a really nice uh, film noir um, yeah. thesis. Yeah. yeah. Um, and anyway, so he walks off uh, from like he's like a pianist at a nightclub. He's telling the story at a diner like to us, strictly the audience. Um, and as, as, and he's going back and, and like, like telling us this tale. And so like he and his love interest, I'm forgetting her name. Like they walk off after, um, she's a singer and he, he's the pianist and, uh, the, they're just like walking down streets in, uh, in New York and the, they keep talking. And as they keep talking, there's like more, like, there's more like smoke blown into the, into the scene like it keeps like there are these cuts that are almost kind of weird because they focus on uh like lampposts like to yeah. show yeah like w- what street they're wa- walking on yeah. and it's like i kind of think the way that it's shot it says to me that they had to be on some set that looked maybe obviously like it wasn't a city and the only way they could do it was just pumping all the, all smoke, the smoke into in it there, yeah. but yeah. but it's in in it, it but it has this because he's telling you this story like he's telling us as the audience this story it has the effect of like we're like blowing through his like like the his like unconscious like he's yeah. like we're like blowing through the psyche as he's telling this thing and it's just like everything's clouded except for this com- conversation he's having with the woman who's he's, he's in love with and she's telling him that she's leaving for LA and he can't go he doesn't have money and anyway he decides to go after this the scene that I love diegetically because of all the smoke it's just like so much smoke it's like a laser floyd concert like the smoke machine just busted and it was just yeah. everywhere yeah. so so the um he decides to go catch up with her in Los Angeles. And uh, also there's a great thing because of how cheaply made the film is, is um, they didn't have enough money to um, have the, to reverse. Hugh told me this to reverse the film stock. So it looks as though he's getting into cars in England because, <sighs> because <laughs> it's just, it's the negative. It's the it's photo the negative, negative yeah. of the scene. So he, the cars are driving on the left side of the road in the United States and he's getting in and the steering wheel is on the right. And it's obviously it didn't happen in England. It happened here in the U S but it's just the reverse of the, of the wow. film stock. And so again, it's one of these things that it's like, that's like a production mistake or a concession rather. But if you think about these films, theoretically, like it means something has happened. Like, I think it's a really nice thing for a noir, like something like the wrong way, like he's going the wrong right. way. Right. There's something, there's something like, like wrong and uncanny in the image. And what ends up happening is, uh, he picks up, um, a guy, uh, or sorry, the other way around, he's hitchhiking. So the guy picks him up and he starts driving. Um, and I'm forgetting his, the, the character's name, uh, but it's important. Um, Oh my gosh. Well, it doesn't matter. I'll keep telling with the, with yeah, the story. Tell the story. Yeah. And eventually, and they're just, he like, uh, so Al Roberts is just driving for this guy because he needs to get to, to LA or something to see his father or something like that. And the guy just dies right in the car. Right. right. And they, he pulls over and it, it's so funny. The first time you see this movie, it's so funny because 
I just like, I, I couldn't stop laughing. Like, because it's, it's told like a narrator's voice. And he's just like, the only thing he could do was steal this guy's identity. Right. And it's like, that's the only thing you could do in that situation. But <laughs> it's, it's so funny, but that's the logic of the noir. I think is that like, right. like he's right. He's, he, in, in, in the real world, of course, someone dies in the car you're with. You don't steal their identity. That's not the only choice you have. But it is in the noir. And it's really great. Like, it comes out um, when, I, when I've taught it. Like, I've taught it th- three different times at three different schools. And someone, a, a student, always says they think there maybe is some unreliable narration going on that maybe he did kill him. And I say, okay, he says that in the movie. He says to us, the audience, you probably don't believe me because the reason why he switches identities with him is because who would believe his story that he was a hitchhiker driving with this guy and he just died. Like the cops would just bring him in like, and they would try. And, and I think it's, it's, it's happened three separate times where where, (laughs) again, independently a student has been like, I don't really believe him. And I'm like, so you agree with, with his course of action then. Right. Right. And, um, and so anyway, so then uh, he meets up with someone who the guy who uh, died was also going to meet up with, but he's changed identities. And so um, just to not like uh, belabor the retelling of this movie that is well worth watching in very short, it's like 70 minutes. It is. Short, um, yeah. yeah. Like he ends up um, killing her accidentally um, in a, like her, it, it's, it doesn't make, I don't think it's, it makes for good retelling to tell, but he kills her yeah. like, and he, I don't want to say like he accidentally kills her in one sense, but he like totally wants to in another. And I think that's sort of the important thing. Right. But for the code and for the noir, the important thing is this. He changed identities with a man who died. So Al Roberts is who he starts off the film as. And for the world, Al Roberts died on the side of the road. Now, because he changed identities with this other person, Haskell, Eddie, that's, that's, that's who who he, Charlie Haskell. Now he's Charlie Haskell. And so Charlie Haskell, in a named sense, killed this uh, this woman in a hotel room, uh, played by Ann Savage, a character's name I'm forgetting. Um, or wait, yeah, that's correct. Um, and because it's Tom Neal and it's Ann Savage. Uh, and, and so it literally, I mean, obviously he just changed identities. He didn't become a different person. So him he's still al roberts like but right al roberts d- didn't really kill this character like charlie haskell did so it he doesn't actually pay he doesn't get he doesn't arrested have to be punished he doesn't have to be punished and he explains this he said haskell's getting me out of this but he can't be roberts because roberts died so like he's like in like in in uh not in a Heideggerian sense, he's not between two deaths, he's between two crimes. Yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah and and yeah. he can't be really caught for either of them. And so the film ends with him being arrested, but it's just in his mind. Like he says, like, I know someday like a car is gonna pull up and it's gonna be for me, and it's a cop just like ushering him into the car. But diegetically, he does not pay for this crime at right. all in the right. film. And right. he stole someone's identity, which is not a capital crime in a no, noir. It's not a capital crime. No. You know, certainly not. But he did kill someone. Right. Um, but he doesn't pay for it. And I think like anyway, it's it maybe took a long way to get there. I apologize for the retelling, maybe didn't make for good radio. But I think like that refutes like Pippin's point about the like like the fatalism is is not it's not just fatal. Like it, it actually like the way that the these films play with the code 
um, it, it makes them more interesting. I think, uh, like we would say, like it, it makes it, it it turns a it turns a dualist concept into a dialectical one. Yeah, is, uh, yeah. I, I think that's true. I totally agree with you that that this that that you're constantly there's this constant flirtation with the code, and I and and even with the idea, and I think that that your detour example is an interesting one. That even with the notion of punishment, right? Like it's not mm-hmm. clear all the time that the person is punished for what they've for what they've done because they can you know they can oftentimes this is true of the femme fatale right they they can mm-hmm. they turn it around and mm-hmm. then they're not punished right like i guess yeah. for murder they always would be punished but i'm thinking of yeah. a not good film lady in the lake which is shot all it's an all first person film so it's it's basically they they had this idea that if you shot a film only from the p- point of view of the the POV of Marlowe, the detective, you would mm-hmm. completely identify with him, and the film nicely proves that that i that idea is totally wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> so you really can't identify with him because you never see him. He's also mm. it's it's hard to believe that someone who's not on screen can act poorly, but he he Robert Montgomery manages to do that. So. But well, can I, is, I, I yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah, you go. I was just going to camp out on that because I, I, what I love is it shows that the on-screen, the only way that you can have an, on, an on-screen subject is if they are an on-screen object. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's yeah. right. It, it, yeah, it, 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 interestingly, that film nicely shows the way that identification relies on some kind of objectification, right? Like it mm-hmm. has to have that or else you can't. You can't see the other as a subject unless you also see the other as an object, which you just said, which I think that's a great mm-hmm. point. So, but the, the point is that the, the femme fatale in that film kind of basically she converts and becomes his spouse in the end. <laughs> I mean, she hasn't killed anyone, but she's a mm. she's clearly an evil doing corrupt person. And mm-hmm. her name is Adrian Fromset. And and what's interesting to me is that. That there is this kind of dynamic between, you know, we, how does the hero relate to the femme fatale, right? Like, mm-hmm. does he try to convert her to being a good spouse? That's what happens mm-hmm. in Lady in the Lake. Uh, or does he go over to her side, which is what happens in Double Indemnity? Mm-hmm. Or does he kind of go over to his side and then try to come back to the other side. And that's what happens in out of the past. Right. So it's, it's, I think there's these different ways of relating. I mean, and that's, I think not every noir has a femme fatale, but I do think that that figure is the center of the noir because she represents the obscene enjoyment. And that's why I think feminists are so interested in film noir. So on the one hand you get most of the time, these women are punished and mm-hmm. it's also the identification of female sexuality with evil, right? So that's, mm-hmm. you're like, oh my God, this is just terrible. But, but, and then also the femme fatale is basically a male fantasy, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is the, that, that, yeah. Yeah. So you got all these like really bad things. But at the same time, most feminist film theorists love film noir and most feminist historians of film think that these are about the best depictions of women in the history of 
at least Hollywood cinema. So there's this, this kind of double thing, I think, about well, film. Doesn't noir. out of the doesn't out of the past have this? The I, I think perfectly. Th- this is perfectly. It's, it's the it's the best example because the whole for the whole f- and it's the best film noir. The, like we both think this, right? Like it's just I the think best yeah. One. yeah. Although I do sometimes, the third man sometimes gets me. But right, I, I third think, man, yeah. 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 But um, up until like as Robert Mitchum is retelling the story, so like it's it's um Kathy Moffat, right? That's the right, right. Okay, so this was the person who the he was hired to find, but then he falls in love with, and right. that sex scene that I described earlier. Um, but before that, he when they meet on the beach, he says. He, he says something like, uh, she came up to me like school was out. And so this like, and so in, in most of his retelling, she is an innocent girl who had, who like, there's a rich guy who's trying to find her. The rich guy's the bad guy. She's just like, oh, just like, she's just pure and simple. And, and what a, what a sweetheart. And then she murders a, someone in front of him with such relish. Yeah. And it's it's such a nice shot because she's holding this gun right at her waist yeah. and it's like it's it, who he as he's fighting this guy she kills him. Yeah. And you just you stop the it's film It's his there former like, partner I think, isn't it? His former partner, that's yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who Wick hired to make sure he wasn't, you know, yeah. doing the dirty on him yeah. uh at which he was, of course. And Well, no, the, I think I don't even think he was hired by Wit at the time. I think he was oh. I think he was just like he knew that he could get I think this is right. Oh, that he right. knew that he could, right. he would sorry. get a payoff if he turned them in. If he turned them in, you're I think right, that's you're right. right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. Sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah, it was of his design, not of Wit's yeah. design. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So these two guys are fighting, and then she suddenly has a gun, and she's holding it at her waist, and it's like you stop the film. It's like who has the phallus right yeah. now? Right, right. And right. it's it's Kathy, and who because and so what you what you have to do is is like what's occurred in this moment is that you know who was who was sexist it was uh it was it was uh his real his name is jeff no matter what it's just the yeah, last right, name has right. changed it's jeff because he just thought he he didn't he didn't think that she could be he didn't think she could be a, a, a contradictory subject right he didn't right. think he didn't think that that you know she had to be the this the the sweet innocent thing like like he denied her a complex subjectivity that's what that's what happened i i and agree totally with that yeah 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 Go ahead, and sorry. i think that i think these no 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 just i think that film noirs play with that like and they they play with both the characters um like like orientation to them and i think are are the the viewers and it, it is, it's like in this way, it's able to, like, I think this is why, like, they, they um, often play, like, they, they are the center, they're the centers of, of enjoyment in the, in the films. Like, right. Like, they most, absolutely most are. Absolutely are. Right. That's totally true. I also, the, that film has my favorite all time line. So they, oh, yeah, they do they're it. down in, they're down in Acapulco, I think. Anyway, they're, they're somewhere in Mexico and they're, they've quoted um, in the wire too. That's, is it quoted in the wire? Wow! It is. Presbaluski says this to his wife. I oh, mean, you cool. tell the thing, and then I'll tell you the scene. <laughs> okay, cool. So, yeah. so they they go to a casino, and she she they're playing roulette, and she places a bet, and he goes, "That's not the way to win." She goes, "Is there a way to win?" And then he says this great line, "No, but there's a way to lose more slowly." And I have always <laughs> thought like yeah. that's the 
you know, I wanted that on my on my tombstone. Like he lost more slowly, right? Like that seems uh, like yes. the, it's just a great. I think it's a. There's almost like a political content to it. All right, uh, tell yeah. me the wire scene. Where, well, the wire scene is Presbyluski's at home. This is in the fourth season when he's a teacher, um, and I think his wife is watching him watch college uh, football, and she says she asks him who's winning, and he says nobody wins. You only lose more slowly. That's oh, you know what else it's in? It's What's the that? Model sites that is Night Moves, the Arthur Penn movie no. with Gene Hackman, because Gene no Hackman's way. partner says who's winning, and he says neither one. One's just losing more slowly than the other. So it's interesting yeah, that that has kind of disseminated into the into the culture. It's such a great line. It's uh, such a great I mean, line. so many yeah. lines from that. Like also, you build my ga- build my gallows high, baby. There's a lot of great <laughs> build then, my gallows high, baby. <laughs> Robert, every line Robert Mitchum says, <laughs> like it's just the right. It's uh, they're great. Right, except yeah. that I'm going to now say a great Kathy line, Dude. and I want to tie this to what you were saying about her. Right toward nice. the end, after she's killed, so at the end of the film, she kills Wit, and then mm-hmm. she's like. If you try to call the cops, I'll just frame you for it. And you sit, and she goes, you've got nobody else to make deals with but me. But then mm-hmm. here's my favorite line. They're kissing on the back. She goes, I'm no good and neither are you. <laughs> and I always have thought, <laughs> like, that's just to me, that's like the perfect noir thing. But what's great about it is she also is this innocent figure, mm-hmm. right? So she is mm-hmm. a con. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's what's yeah. great about the femme fatale, and I think that a couple things make this better than Double Indemnity because Phyllis Dietrichson's mm-hmm. basically just bad, yeah, right? Like you yeah. don't ever see, like Kathy, you see something genuinely appealing about her. I think Phyllis Dietrichson, mm-hmm. Walter's interest in her is basically lustful. I think she's not, and, and financial. I don't think there's, you never look at her and are like, wow, there's really some other thing going on with her. It's much more of a flat depiction. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is why he then moves on to, like, Jeff, I guess Jeff does move on to someone else, but it's only when Kathy's b- gone back to Wit. Like, Walter mm-hmm. Neff moves on to Lola, and that's one of the other things, right? There's always this, and this is what a classic sexist trope between the dark woman who's dangerous and evil mm-hmm. and then the light woman. So either yes. Anne or Lola's not blonde, but she might as well be in, mm-hmm. in Double Indemnity. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, don't you think um, Mildred Pierce does the best with that? Mildred Pierce is the, I mean, a lot of people think it's the most, fe- and this is why it tips over into melodrama maybe, right? Like mm. it's the most feminist of the film noir. I think most people think that. Yeah. I mean, because it's her, because her daughter ends up being the, right, the, right. the, the exactly. femme fatale, but also it's like y- you, you saw how it happened, right? Like it was just, and, and like uh, Mildred just had no, you know, uh, first of all, she invents chicken and waffles. I don't know if everyone knew that. It was Mildred yeah. Pierce who invents it. Um, the the uh, but it's at least like according to the film, that's what her yeah. restaurant is. Right, um, right, but right. Um, but the uh, like the the the, in, the incest angle in that because it's also her um, her second yeah. husband yeah, has yeah. a relationship with her daughter, and yeah. it's like. Um, but, but it's clear that like she seduced him, but also like she was just a kid like earlier yeah. in the film. So like, yeah. and you, you can see, you know, so, like really like what her daughter had such a violent problem with was, uh, class and yeah. poverty. Right. And, and, and so if you, if like, that's what you, I guess I, I think this is the, the question, like, um, 
this is an index of how like how much did a film uh invest or 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 give uh like complexity to a character because if you just think of them as as purely good or purely evil what do you lose if you just think of uh phyllis dietrichson as purely evil i don't know that you lose that much so which means you know she's not that complicated like as as a character uh, psychically but if you just think of and i'm forgetting her name unfortunately but if you think of mildred pierce's daughter as purely evil i think you lose a lot and it's the same with it's the same with kathy Kathy, if you just think of Right. It was purely evil. You lose a lot, and I think that like that's always the, like for me that's the that would be the that's the uh, the the litmus test of like a um like a like of a sexist or racist uh you know d- d- depiction is like is it is it just is it uncomplicated? It's just one. Right. It's it's like the one thing, and it's right. like the one stereotypical thing. And I think that's where like Mildred Pearson and and uh, out of the past are, are a lot better on that like on the on the uh, fe- on the feminism scale of right. of, of that because right. the, the characters who who do embody the femme fatale who do at different points uh, represent some kind of evil in the in the film like there is something that you have to acknowledge that pulls them back from that position that they're right. not purely that thing right and the other thing is about out of the past right that in terms of its race politics i think it's pretty mm. it's, it's better than Almost any competing Almost film any of the them? time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's other than the film that we the Christmas film that we talked about, Christmas in Connecticut, which is you know, oh, that's kind right. of off the yeah, charts. Yeah, yeah. But but that's yeah, true. like it's a similar actually it's kind of similar, right? Like Mitchum what's interesting is film noir you get this you get this uh oftentimes there's a so it's standing in for blackness, I think, a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Like there are white yeah. characters who are standing in for blackness in film noir. Mm-hmm. But Out of the Past really has black characters. Mitchum mm-hmm. goes to talk to them and there's, you know, they're not made, you know, there's not the typical stereotypical depictions that we would see. I mean, they're not made the central focus of the film. So that's, it's part of the whole yeah. Hollywood racist structure in that way. Mm-hmm. But at mm-hmm. least it mm-hmm. doesn't use these classic racist tropes that Donald Bogle has, has, has nicely chronicled. So, mm-hmm. so at least for that, say, I think, you know, it does, a, it, it's pretty good on that level. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a 47, I think. As well. 47, 47, right. It's 47. Yeah. yeah. So it's right. Yeah. So it's right at the same, actually, it's interesting. It's right at the same time as Christmas in Connecticut. It's Christmas in Connecticut. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, so yeah, I think we should talk a little bit about your, your other favorite, Third Man, which is oh, okay. yeah, sure. an interesting one because it's so it doesn't take place in America. So that's one mm-hmm. thing. It's questionable whether it has a femme fatale. Maybe Very questionable. I, I kind of don't think it does. I kind of <laughs> would say not, uh, unless it's Harry Lyme. I was just going to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, unless it's I mean, Harry clearly, Lyme, yeah, I mean, yeah. there is a way in which it's his relationship really with, yeah, with, uh, is, is, is it? It's it's Ho- oh, Holly Martin's Holly Martin's oh Holly Martin's yeah because yeah, yeah. I was yeah. thinking in the novel the third it's a Graham Greene novel so it's a is a good mm-hmm. pedigree and in in the novel his name is Rollo Martin's and, oh okay and and the and and Carol Reed who directed the film thought mm-hmm. Reed, uh, Graham Greene wrote the screenplay too except for one key thing he didn't write um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Graham uh, uh, Carol Reed thought that that Rollo sounded too macho. 
for the mm. character that Joseph Cotton was going to play. And I agree. I think Holly yeah. Martin is, 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 gets him. I mean, there's so many great scenes in this film. One where he gets thrust in front of a literary society. He writes these crappy Westerns like Lewis right. or whatever. And, uh, Which is great. That's it, referencing another actual Hollywood genre in the, in the film. That's right? right. That's right. And he yeah. also, do you remember what, what writer, they ask him, what it's I, they wanted to talk on James Joyce in the modern novel and they're like mm-hmm. what not what novelist has influenced you do you remember who he says he says Zane no, Grey not. who's a famous I mean I guess people maybe read his novels in for some kind of historical interest but he's a he's a he's he's a western novelist like he wrote mm. these not you know like kids novels of the old west um <laughs> so and, the, and then the 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 crowd's like Zane Grey what what are you saying <laughs> And he doesn't know who James Joyce is, so it's it kind of That's goes it. it goes badly. But then <laughs> the great, and then it does have this one of the maybe the greatest. I think you could even make the arguments the greatest scene in the history of cinema, right? Oh, I love it. Well, we had this thing where like uh, like the best five minutes, yeah, best five minutes of film, like yeah. like, uh, and, and we would put this up there. We like, put it uh, up. It's in the top five for sure, for sure. Yeah. The question is how many don't involve Wells because you got to put the. <laughs> You got to put the lady from Shanghai mirror yes. scene. So there's two. Well, at least I gets awoke two. in the crazy house, <laughs> and for a while there, I thought it was I who was. Anyway, that's me doing. Yeah, that's uh, the pretty good. Wells, Wells doing. Uh, what's his name? Michael, <laughs> Irish. Michael O'Shea. Oh, I don't know yeah. what his last name was. Michael yeah. O'Hara. Michael O'Hara. 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 Yeah. 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 Anyway. Anyway, um, yeah. But the 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 famous Ferris wheel scene. From, mm-hmm. from double from from third man and and I think and then what I was going to say what what uh, Graham Greene didn't write was the final when 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 Wells says to Joseph Cotton you know well hold cure, on let's set this up because oh yeah what, set it up because you you the reason it. why just in case you haven't seen it and just to be really really clear in a yeah, sense yeah. about it is that like um they're in they're in Vienna and uh, what. Um, Holly Martins is investigating is the uh, like the death and dis- and uh, what he th- he thinks is disappearance of well, his friend Harry Lyme right, right. like disappearance and, because he's well he doesn't know it's a dis- they have his coffin dug up and he's not yeah in it in that's it. Right, right yeah right and then it becomes a disappearance and anyway then eventually uh, you don't know that it's Wells but it, you find out that it's Wells he 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 catches up with him and and they are in a uh, they're in a Ferris wheel together where they can be quiet, like can be quiet and there aren't eyes on them and they can finally talk. And uh, Harry Lyme ex- explains what he's been doing in, uh, in, in Vienna. And it's a, can, can you, can you help me like on the specifics of this? He's, he's doing like a, it's kind of like a fake drug. Right. Uh, he's basically selling on the black market penicillin. That's not, that's not really penicillin. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's like putting kids, killing kids, putting them in the hospital, and it's really mm-hmm. having some terrible effects on people. And and Holly confronts him with this. He and they're they're in this huge. It's a huge. It's like one of these Ferris wheels where it goes really high, and it's in a in a little like a you wouldn't call it a cart, but what is it? It's like a a, a, a thing that accommodates a bunch of people, like a cage, yeah. like a big cage. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. And and carriage. it has doors, the carriage, right? Yeah. It has doors on it. And they mm-hmm. look up and they and, and they go up and they're looking down and he and then he has this famous conversation where he says, You look the how many of those dots down there? If I said I'll give you a million dollars for each dot 
that we stop that stops moving. Would you really, old man? Would you really tell me to keep my money? And and mm-hmm. you know, and then Holly, Joseph Cotton's like, you're crazy, and you're a killer. And then uh, uh, Harry Lyme basically. Wells basically threatens to knock him out. He's like, have you told the police yet? He's going to throw him out. And then he's like, I already told the police. And then so he's like, oh, why? We're old friends. I'm not going to throw you out. <laughs> but then they, it's they, all okay. Yeah, it's all okay. And then they get down, and then there's this incredible then, then thing that, the that Wells wrote, which is he says, cheer up, old man, because in 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 Italy under the Borgias, they had – war, famine, destruction, and they had Michelangelo in the Renaissance. In Switzerland, they had 500 years of peace, love, and democracy. And what did they have? The cuckoo clock, mm-hmm. where they invent the cuckoo clock. So people in Switzerland were really pissed because they're like, we didn't, we didn't invent the cuckoo clock. And, you know, but it's, a, it's a, of course, but it's, I mean, like it, that it's, it's not a statement of historical accuracy. No, I mean, it's, it's not. like, what, no, it's what not. it's the, what, what is the character representing? I mean, like, of course, Harry Lyme would believe that. Um, and the, it, the position it, he, it, it just, it nicely explains what the capitalist position is, is that, and, and what the, um, uh, I would say the destitution of a moral response to right. capital, like be- right. believing a capitalist has a moral responsibility right. to people. And right. it's just, it's like, they are so like, really just think of where, where's the CEO in a building are They on right. the ground floor or yeah. are they on the top, right. you know, like, and, right. and the, the, like what it just wells, like, you know, Carol Reed and Wells, they just explain it. Like they are so far high up that we do not matter. We are dots. Right. And and like if what if one of these dots stopped moving, got carried away by paramedics, what what does it matter? Like it doesn't matter at all, but it's a it's a million or you know, or or fifty million or whatever for each one of us for our thing. And then that's why that closer is so good, is because that there is this I he also encapsulates this idea that it is um it is actual like 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 murderous conflict and barbarism that produces the best in society so even if he has to see himself as a bad agent he is producing something right, right. Give, making the conditions for something greater to emerge elsewhere so you cannot come at these people with you know a uh, uh, secular morality and expect them to to change because they they first of all don't see the problem in what they're doing because it's just economics and moreover they think that they are the producers of of of, right. of, right. of the great art as well and I mean it's just it's all it's like in like again like I said it's like in like five minutes right and it's just and, and incredible and yeah, uh, it's incredible. incredible yeah yeah and I think I think like here we see the way in which a what we would call morally obscene, right? Like it's an obscene mm-hmm. response mm-hmm. to the world, how that mm-hmm. completely predominates in the film. Yeah. He ends up being shot in the end, he dies. Yeah. But it, yeah. it, is, it is interesting how he never, that, uh, that worldview never gets refuted by the film. No. So yeah. I do think that it, it really lays out that position and it makes it attractive, right? Like mm-hmm. he's, he's it, it's very clear, I think, that, Wells, just because it's Wells, but also the Harry Lyme figure is a more appealing figure than mm-hmm. Holly Martin's the Joseph Cotton figure, right? Like, because oh, he's bound by rules, right? And law, evinced know, by like, the what, fact that his Lyme's girlfriend, who 
Holly's been trying to to court is mm-hmm. just walks right past him at the end of the film, and one of <laughs> right the great endings the of the film uh, of a film oh, ever, God, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there's nothing appealing about him or his position, as, as it, it turns out. And I think, and not that the film, I don't think the film's certainly not supporting no, that, but it's just no. it's showing. Again, I think graphically, what's the more attractive position? Right, it's the, right. It's the right. capitalist one, and I think it's like like that's where again, like you focus on fatalism for that. I, I think it's just you miss everything. Yeah. About well, I the, think yeah, you miss the how appealing the world, how sexually appealing that world is right like that's what that's really what it what it's doing so yeah so i think that that's a that's a good one to end on i think and 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 i i i i I think that i'm pretty sure i remember this but i don't think that i think we can say what's the lesson ryan what's the lesson todd i think it's watch third man right like (laughs) no no we've totally done that we totally done like recently too totally because of the terrible I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, babe. Uh, <laughs> well, I have another one. Okay. What do you got? I have Watch Laura. That's my favorite kind of on the under, you know, not really that well-known film noir. So It's mm-hmm. by Otto Preminger mm-hmm. with Gene Tierney and Dana Andrews. It's a great movie. There you go. There you go. That's All awesome. Right. Over and out, Ryan. Over and out, Todd. <laughs>